0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, wellbeing, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry.
1: This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and wellbeing. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Today's guests are Bob Akmoyne and Alistair Champion, the founding partners of Laser Clinics Australia, or as it's more commonly referred to, LCA. LCA was founded in 2008 with its first clinic opening its doors in the inner western Sydney suburb of Moines. Since then, LCA has grown to well over 100 clinics across Australia and most recently in New Zealand. LCA is the largest provider of cosmetic treatments in the world, with an offering ranging from laser hair removal, laser skin treatments, cosmetic injectables and most recently, body contouring. Bobak and Alistair sold the business to a private equity firm almost two years ago, but were kind enough to drop into the Inside Aesthetic studio today to talk to Jake and I about their journey and the secrets to their unprecedented success. So, Bobak and Al, the two gentlemen that pioneered laser hair removal, injectables, basically changed the aesthetic market in Australia forever
2: call us Lennon and McCartney. <laughs>
1: Which
0: one are you? <laughs>
2: I'm the, I you should, should be still dead. To work that I out. Should.
0: <laughs> just for the, the record th- this is Bob back talking. Hello. Yeah. And good morning Al we've not met before. Hello. How I are you today? It. Very well thank you. Excellent thank thanks, you guys for coming. Yeah, thanks we you know
1: you're busy with retirement. Just, just retirement. <laughs> just chilling so thank you very much for coming in. So I guess um Bobak and Al we've known each other for quite a number of years we've worked to be I've been involved for with LCA for not as long as you guys were but not not long after you guys started I guess but Jake's you haven't met before so
0: no so maybe for the context of people who've never heard of Laser Clinics Australia firstly what is it and then we can go into how it developed and how you started it etc so how would you describe what it is
2: mr champion over to you Uh,
3: look ultimately uh, i mean these it it, it certainly evolved i think early on it was it was largely a laser hair removal business yeah but i think in the in the latter end of of our involvement in the business it certainly became more of a distribution model for um cosmetic services so um by that i mean you could add things remove things ultimately it was a brand that was associated with those particular services sure um, but um, you know early days hair removal was 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 the key service um, and uh, we added a number of services over the years big one being injectables yes um, and and various other skin treatments but it's um, it's it's a chain in the sense that um, it's a franchise so uh, there's some there's some uniqueness to the model um, but ultimately, yeah, it's a chain offering cosmetic services. There's a
0: high street clinic effectively offering initially laser Correct. hair removal and now Correct. a lot more.
1: Yeah. I guess maybe just to rewind to the beginning, because I think that people will, will be really interested to know where it all started, because you're quite an unlikely duo. Um, you know, Al, you're... Uh, really? <laughs> well, you know, um, you know Al, Al's... You got yin <coughs> and yang, I guess, for people that don't really know you guys. So, I mean, I think you know, Bobak, you had a, a previous business in this industry. I guess it was your first attempt. And then there was a second iteration in which you guys came together. So you worked together in some capacity and then formed this this amazing model, but you've got such opposing personalities and skill sets, And I guess that's that magic between the two of you. So I guess maybe if you can just take us on that journey a little bit in terms of how it started and then what led to the success.
2: Sure, um, I'm happy to answer that question broadly. Laser Clinics Australia is the first of its type in the world, insofar as it is discounted cosmetic treatments in retail centres. We were the first and we were the only for a long time to be offering that service. And by discounted, I mean we reduced prices by the order of 70%. Before Laser Clinics Australia... The price of, for instance, anti-wrinkle injections was around $25 per unit. Wow. Oh, That's post Laser Clinics <laughs> Australia.
1: Jake's like, wow, I, I want to yeah. be working in that, sure era. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: well, well, Jake, I'll, I will put it to you that you're doing substantially greater volume now and you're benefiting far more from the volume rather than keeping prices low. It's no different to the airline analogy. Mm. When it used to cost $500 30 years ago to fly from Sydney to Melbourne, used to cost $500 to fly. Very few people used to fly. Remember, people used to catch the bus. They used to drive. Mm. They used to catch the train. People don't do that anymore. (laughs) Let's not touch that one. Whereas what's happened is we provided volume to the market. Yeah, exactly. When we entered the market, the penetration rate of anti-wrinkle injections was less than one-third of 1%. Wow. Today it sits around 8%. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that now. What year was this when it was started? Look, initially laser clinics, we started in 2007. I'm going to say 2008, mm. October when we opened our first clinic.
0: So a running service that was available 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you had one clinic?
2: We we tested the model with one location. Where was with,
0: that one? Oh, it
2: was Jermyn. yeah. yeah. Jermoyne For Listeners unaware of Sydney geography, it's basically in the inner west of Sydney, about 15 kilometers away from the CBD. It was a semi-retail location. It had a lot of exposure to drive-by traffic, mm-hmm. but it had no exposure Not to walk-by Not in a big
3: mall traffic. or... No. no. I wouldn't yeah. even say High Street. Sure. I mean, it was more a busy road. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was your first one. And why did you choose to offer
0: such a heavy discount? I mean, obviously it's attractive, but it's, it's a huge discount.
2: No, nobody had done this before. We were the first, we were determined to show that what we would lose in the prices, we would pick up through volume. Now, if you think about a typical business, in this case, think about a cosmetic clinic. If the room stays empty, that cost is gone and it's gone forever. You will not get revenue from that.
0: Correct. you're still paying your
2: rent, your electricity, staff. And the laser, which is one of the most expensive costs, the laser is sitting there. Are you not better off getting 80% utilization from this laser rather than the typical plastic surgeon, the typical dermatologist who uses their laser one hour a week and they put an extraordinary price on it? Rather than charging the laser out at $1,000 an hour, we decided to charge it out at $300 an hour. Yeah. And as a consequence, we became very busy offering this service. We started off with one laser, then it became two lasers, then it became four lasers. Then we had to knock walls down and put in more rooms. And as Alistair mentioned before, we then started adding on more services.
1: Yeah. So how did you guys initially meet?
2: Online. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> swipe left i mean I I, I I
1: mean i know the story but i think it's amazing in terms of just how just the serendipity of how you guys came together and it just it just worked because
2: I, I think it was one of those uh, like many things in life it was one of those fortuitous meetings uh, my it manager in my old business and prior to laser clinics australia I had a business called effectively australian laser clinics you change change the order of words around and so that's a uh, that that's a business model that i used to run my it manager was away he asked alistair to come in to fix an it issue at work which i believe was a printer yeah and from there we just started discussions regarding what the business was about what the market was about What were the opportunities to make money in this business? Alistair at the time decided to, after a period of months, decided to come through in the IT role. And from then we just started talking about where the opportunities were in the market to make money, to do what nobody else had ever done.
1: So I guess the moral of the story is always be nice to your IT guy. (laughs) (laughs) You never know where it
3: might end up. (laughs) Well, the reality is, is working in IT, you are yeah. you are privy to a lot of information. Um, you you people's, do get to people's w- private emails. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> no, you do you do um, you work with all the departmental heads, um, so it is uh, it is a great way to get some exposure to a business. And and I remember at the time, actually, um, you know, uh, in that particular bu- uh, business, Bobak had a lot of staff, and and, and we'd regularly meet. And, and I think we started to talk about um, inefficiencies you know in in the business um, and it was from there that we started talking about you know how, how we could change things in that in that business and in time it it became a consideration to start from scratch and there was a number of reasons for that one of which was the the locations of, of those particular clinics I think once we once we really started to break it down we realized that you um, uh, there was a certain amount that we could do to improve the business but in reality we're much better off starting from scratch and that's uh, that's kind of when the relationship started to kick off and then
1: in terms of the progress and how the business developed so you know, Al was saying or Alistair was saying that it started with laser hair removal like when did I guess you had the epiphany to sort of realise well, you needed to move into other areas such as injectables and, you know, beyond just the basic laser hair removal treatment.
2: It became obvious very early on in the piece, and by very early on, I mean within a matter of two weeks, three weeks, that we had a winning model. We had a model where hundreds of people were rushing through into our clinics to have treatments done. We were the only provider at that price. H- how did you communicate
0: that laser hair removal was, you know, a, an easy,
2: simple thing? Because a lot of people had never done that before. By that stage, the market penetration of laser was probably of the order of 10%. Okay,
0: so it was like and a... Then,
2: and, you know, by this stage, people understood the word hair. They understood, the wo- uh, in effect, they understood the words hair removal. Hmm. Once you put the word laser in front of it, At the time, it made it sound scientific. It made it sound high-end. And we would use the word permanent reduction underneath those words. And we kept a very simple message. So people, in effect, understood that this was permanent hair removal. And our effectively, our main source of advertising, our main source of clients coming in through the door was they would drive past the clinic. They would see a sign that read, laser hair removal from $9 or Brazilian and underarms at the time, we started off at $69, full legs at $99, full legs Brazilian and underarms at $119. These prices were between anywhere between a minimum of 50% to 90% cheaper than the rest of the markets. But
3: but getting back to, to your original question, I think early days it wasn't that we were um, necessarily attracting a new market. There would have been a small... Um, you know percentage of that, but in reality, um, it was you know potentially clients that were already in the space, and it was it was the offering, it was the price point, the convenience, location wise, um, the presentation was very professional. So um, certainly later, it was about introducing new people into the market and increasing that saturation. But I think early days, it was just um, a churn from competitors yeah. into our business. So Bobby, you said. It took literally two or three weeks to realize
0: you're onto a winner. At what point did you think injectables could be added to that model?
2: Early on in the piece, except we hadn't set the model up at that point to be able to introduce injectables. We knew early on that we needed to introduce injectables. We needed to ensure that we captured the laser hair removal market. That in effect we were we didn't want to fight a war on two fronts. The Existing providers of laser hair removal were predominantly beauty salons. We wanted to take that market on. We wanted to win. Once we had captured that market, we wanted to turn our attention to the other side. Which is now, a
0: completely different thing run by doctors and major clinics and...
2: Correct. We, we, we were mindful of not having to fight two battles at the same time. Now, within a period of months, now I think... Not long after the second clinic opened, which was the North, North Rocks Clinic within Westfield, we decided we needed to start hitting the injectables markets.
0: Mm. So what was your initial offering? Was it just anti-wrinkle or did you have dermal fillers alongside that at the Both. same time? Okay.
3: And our, our go-to-market was very much anti-wrinkle though. Sure. Mm. And obviously,
0: you know, things have changed and you've scaled now, but when you first started, did you have a relationship with the um, providers of the products or was that, you know, did you just discount at the time and, and hope that you had the volume to make it all work?
2: I had come through an existing relationship with the providers through my previous model. Um, the, prov- the, the pharmaceutical companies were adamantly opposed to any form of discounting.
0: Yeah, understandable.
2: Now I had, we had a major battle with them insofar as we would say, this is our model. Our model is to discount the product. They did not want us to do that. Mm. We ended up in a battle with the pharmaceutical companies and the main part of the battle was we would tell them, you are not allowed to tell us at what price we sell this. Mm. We will sell this product at the product price that we want to sell it.
0: Of course. As long as you've bought it at cost price, then you can do what you like with it.
2: And we were buying it at the same price as everyone else in the market. Yeah, We were happy to make a lower margin. What we were banking on, volume. Yeah, that's an interesting
0: so, concept because most people do the complete opposite. They know that they're going to have low volume and so they charge as much as they can. That's just what normal people do yeah
1: and what do you think the, the turning point for them was to actually be able to see your vision and understand why you were doing that was
2: it they, they couldn't ignore us anymore mm. we became the largest provider in sydney within a short period of time mm. it wasn't much longer that we became the largest provider in australia and in effect we became the largest purchaser of anti-wrinkle injections anywhere in the world when you discount the government.
1: Wow. So you've got the, the, the battle to overcome with the pharmaceutical companies in terms of your product. I can imagine or I, I know for a fact that the other part, side of that coin, which was also extremely difficult, was the providers. So getting your first doctor, getting your first nurse, getting them to understand the vision um, and perhaps some of the challenges or stigma that they might um, experience being involved in a model that was, I guess revolutionising the market and potentially upsetting a lot of people. Was that challenging and how did you overcome that?
2: To get the very first doctor on board, I was on my knees, I was begging. I I threw everything I could at doctors, nurses to get them on board. I went through and I spoke to 20 of them. Mm. The answer was no, pretty much from everyone. They did not want to be associated with a model that discounted the service. They did not believe that this service should ever be discounted. In the end, I called in a favor from a doctor who used to work for me. I asked him to work for me one day a week. He he started work and his volume, he was inundated. Then I went to the markets and then said, this is the volume we can get. This is the money you can make. And then we got our first nurse on board. Then when the first nurse started making more money, she started talking to others in the industry. Now, it took about 18 months or so before the balance of power shifted. What happens, we control the patients. Once you control the patients, the nursing staff, the medical staff will come on board.
0: Yeah. So how many clinics did you have by say eighteen months into in, into
3: this? Like how quickly did the the company scale? Yeah, look, I think looking back, I think it would have been around the sort of five to seven mark. I mean, the 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 scaling was um, was relatively slow early. Um, there was there was obviously a lot that we were building on the back end while whilst um, focusing on that sort of retail front rollout. Um, but the timeline, yeah, I'd say we're around sort of that five to seven mark at that stage.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And in terms of going from the first Dremoyne Clinic, which was on a busy road, was there a conscious decision to go, okay, we understand we need to be within shopping centres now? And was that a challenge as well, getting people like Westfield to to let you in and promote that model there? N- no, it- I
3: think um, early days I think we knew that we had to be in shopping centres. The reality was that Dremoyne... Um, financially was a lot easier to get into. Mm. Um, so it was really about testing the model. But the moment that um, we were conscious that the model worked in in Jermaine, um, you know, we were really, the next site that we were pushing for was certainly in, in, in a shopping center. Was it hard? Look, no. <laughs> you know, it's it's all, there's a number of um, strings to pull in terms of the, the commercials of um, a retail arrangement um did we get the best deal potentially not you know over time the more you become what's regarded as an anchor tenant to the to the large retailers um the more you can start to push back a little bit and ask ask for sort of better terms and later in the business we also introduced um consultants that would help us in that negotiation phase mm. um it was relatively easy to get in but it was um, yet potentially not our best negotiation, the first one. Mm. I mean, for some
0: context for people who don't know, because we've now got listeners in the England and America and Spain, so this is a new concept for people in those countries. You're saying that you've got a clinic that you can walk into, have laser hair removal, anti-wrinkle treatments, dermal fillers, skin treatments, laser, and then walk out and do the rest of your shopping and go to you know, do some clothes shopping. That's quite a, a new concept for a lot of people and I don't think that exists yet in the UK.
3: Yeah, right, absolutely. And, it, and, and it, we take for granted here in Australia now. And, and to be honest, it did shape the, the service selection a lot. We, we really wanted um, ultimately services that would um, have, an, have an impact, so they needed to be um, services that would give outcomes but at the same time limited social downtime as yeah. it's called in the industry so it means that you can go about the rest of your day or uh, other sort of social um things that you may have on yeah. um and and with perhaps some redness but but ultimately people could still function yeah. after the treatment it's a walk-in walk-out thing for sure absolutely and if
2: i could add to that we assumed that people would go to a shopping center they had a hundred dollars in their pocket to spend We didn't think that they were coming specifically to the shopping centre to come through and buy laser hair removal. Mm. We saw this as an opportunity. They were walking past our clinic. They could go and spend that $100 in a clothing store. They could go and spend it in a record store. Do they still exist? I'm not sure. (laughs) Or they could come through and spend it on laser hair removal. We wanted to make it an impulse purchase Mm. and not relying on people who were ex- who were already having the treatments but opening up the market by making it retail was one of the true standout features of this model.
3: And I think um, the, the big unknown at that time as well was, you know, how people would feel about that. Is is it okay to be seen wandering into one of these shops or clinics? Um, so, you know, a lot of thought was put into that when we were designing the first site. It was a balance between... Um, visibility to see into the into the clinic or the you know the salon the clinic the practice what whatever we call it um, to see that it wasn't intimidating, um, but at the same time we needed to provide enough privacy so that if people were sitting in a waiting chair they didn't feel like they're in a fishbowl. Yeah. But it's it's it really is quite quite a tough challenge to get that sort of balance right. Um, that you welcoming but private. That's right. Mm. That's right. I mean, you, you can obviously skin the. Uh, the, the, the glazing, the shop front and hide the thing. But then it looks quite intimidating. Sure. Certainly for people that haven't had the treatment before, it's not particularly inviting. So um, a lot of thought went into that um, shop design. Also to, to make make sure that we sat in the right, in the niche that we were trying to create, which was we're not a beauty salon, but we're not a you know, plastic surgery consulting room. We're, we're sitting somewhere in between. Mm. Um, so So a lot of consideration went into that design.
1: And I think that that right there is a really good example of the magic between you two guys, because I know, you know, Bobby or Bobak, um, all about, you know, the price, how's the consumer going to feel about it, big picture. And just even you picking up on that is, I know that that's your personality, that detail, that's something that probably, you know, maybe, or maybe not something Bobak would have thought about. And I think that was the magic
3: Gets between good you two guys. I, I think organically we fell into mm. roles. It wasn't when we came together, it wasn't that we sat down and said, right, you're going to do this. I'm yeah. going to do that. Um, because we are different people. We did have different skill sets and organically we sort of sat into those roles and it yeah. made sense. You'll notice that Bobak will talk a lot more to the injectable side. I can probably talk a lot more to the practical side yeah. of the development of the business. So... Um, you'll probably see that a lot yeah. throughout the interview.
1: No, I thought that was a really good. I just noticed. I go, yeah, that's that's the way Al works. He's very I, I, detail orientated.
2: I was writing love songs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you guys are travelling long, Injects is is now in in as part of the offering. It's going well. What's the response from the market? So I, I I'm assuming around that point in time, people go, oh, we can do this as well. Then you've also got the the establishment who you know all of a sudden are thinking wow, these guys are serious. How, how, do, we, how do we respond to this? Yeah.
2: Interestingly, I, we, we caught the entire market off guard. Mm-hmm. What happens? You've got doctors out there who had a practice and in this practice they would have had, let's say, of the order of two to 3,000 clients. Mm-hmm. They were losing clients at the rate of two per week. Mm-hmm. They didn't notice it. Eventually it became five per week. When clients would walk into them, to their practice and say, Laser Clinics Australia is offering this product at $10 a unit, you're charging me $25. The doctors, rather than adjusting their model and thinking of where the market was going, they would spend their time talking to the patient as to why they shouldn't go to Laser Clinics Australia.
1: So they're basically doing your marketing for you, (laughs) effectively.
2: In, In effect, and what happened is, By the end of the year, they would lose 100 clients. And more importantly, they weren't picking up as many new clients as what they had before. Mm. So after, fast forward two years later, three years later, their 2,000, 3,000 clients has now become 1,500 clients. It's Mm. become 2,000 clients they start panicking. How mm.
0: did the the clients initially respond? Did they look at such low prices and think, "Well, something... too, too good to be true"? Yeah, they something didn't, dodgy's They going didn't on here. believe
2: it. So we were spending a lot of our time convincing the patients that we were not watering down the anti wrinkle Well, that's,
1: that's still a rumor I hear today. <laughs> uh,
2: yet Laser Clinics Australia. Con- know, in effect, controls the markets. Mm. That rumor has gone nowhere. Yeah. In the end, everyday low prices won the yeah. battle. The battle's been over many, many years. People walk
0: with their feet uh, vote with yeah. their Sorry, feet. Sorry,
2: yeah. that's the one. Vote with their feet. yeah. <laughs> they also, <laughs> they also, they walk also do their walk, with generally feet. Generally <laughs> they walk with generally walk with
0: their feet. <laughs> do walk yeah. with their
1: feet too. Um, but it's interesting. We see this this sort of uh, series of events replaying itself in a number of industries. Whether you look at Kodak ignoring. The digital photo. I mean, what I learned mm. on the weekend was the guy that took the first digital photo used to work for Kodak and brought it to them and they went, nah, this is never going to mm. work. Um, you look at Uber, mm. you know, the, the inefficiency of the of the taxi industry and the battle that they tried to, to wage on on that and what you guys did. It's, it seems to be like something that just plagues a lot of businesses and, in terms of complacency and not seeing
3: where the market's going. So, mm. it's really interesting so, to, so to yeah, see. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good lesson mm. regardless of the space that you're in to always look, at you, look in your rear view mirror mm. and always yeah. Um, yeah. know. That yeah, something's around the corner. Mm. Something's coming.
2: Yeah, P- people who've been in an industry that's been immune from competition have had it too good for too long, and they they don't know the economic playbook on which they should fight. Mm. And it we were fortunate there were no corporate players when we got into no. the market.
3: On on the beauty side, it was mm. very much cottage. cottage. Yeah. On the on the plastic surgeon side, it was very much old guard. You know, it was...
2: We we work alone.
3: Yeah. yeah. Mm. Obviously,
0: since a lot of similar type of models have popped oh. up, um, how did
2: you combat that or, or or didn't you need to? We were fortunate. All they did was copy-paste. They did not have an original idea. They were not the originator of the idea and they didn't have passion. Mm. They didn't understand the industry.
3: I think there was a lot of reasons also... Um, it took them a while to catch on. So there was, there was a degree of brand recognition, yeah. critical mass, brand saturation, all that, all that great stuff. Yeah. Um, we became synonymous with the treatment. So, I mean, you can copy all you want, but ultimately you're not that brand. Yes. Um, and, and so I think it's, I agree. you know, the points that Bobak made and a bunch of other ones that, um, you know, I'm sure people will keep trying. There's a lot happening in the space at the moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, once you do reach that critical mass, it does make it very challenging unless you are, as David mentioned, reinventing something.
1: And one of the things, you I can't remember which of you mentioned about the passion, what is it that made you guys passionate about the industry?
2: I had excess body hair. <laughs> I wasn't Was always
1: pretty. Was that <laughs> the original secret to the business model success or your hairy relatives yeah, I, coming uh, in for cheap <laughs> treatment?
2: You've got very smooth arms now. Uh, well, <laughs> now you've only known me with smooth arms. <laughs> Look, no, I, I remember about 20 years ago I walked into a dermatologist's office and I had some hair removal on... Front and back of my neck.
1: I thought you were going to say knuckles. Sorry,
2: Jager. <laughs> <laughs> and with, it was a five-minute treatment. At the time, before GST, he charged me $300 for it. He left, never thought
0: that's the best money you can make mm, in five minutes, uh, $300. He, yeah,
2: he left the room and I looked for, uh, before mobile phone cameras, I looked for a piece of paper to write down the name of the laser manufacturer, where this had come from. And the only thing I could find was a script pad. Now, a lot, of people, <laughs> a lot of people attempted to write themselves scripts, but I took the script pad and I put, wrote down the name of the laser. Wow. And I found out the cost of that laser. Then I did a calculation of how much it would cost me to laser my entire body and I figured that it would be cheaper for me to buy the laser. Wow. And I thought, if I buy the laser and offer the treatments, I could also make some money out of this. And that was how it started 20 years ago.
0: Wow. So did you, am I right in saying you went into purchasing lasers prior to the, the business?
2: No, no, no. Oh, well, there were two business models. One without Alistair which was Australian Laser Clinics. Okay. And yeah. the one that Alistair and I founded, which was Laser Clinics Australia.
0: Okay, but it was within a clinic, not just a distribution so, of laser.
2: So basically post-Alistair, the model completely changed. Mm. It was a new model.
0: Yeah.
2: We, we cut off the old model and it was a brand new model So and it became a retail discounted model.
0: So where were the lasers for Laser Clinics Australia sort of sourced? Was that internally? There was,
2: there was a local distributor. It was at the time called... Hanimex Medical that was selling, had the distribution for Candela lasers. Candela comes from Boston in the United States. Right.
1: So if we sort of go forward a few years, so business model is is doing great. And then we look at the next stage, which is when private equity comes along. How did that sort of play out? And, And I guess my question as well is there's as much as we all like to think that we go into business without emotion and without any sort of personal attachment to a brand or a business. I know firsthand that that's as much as we say it, it's, it's very difficult to sometimes separate that. So how did that all come about? And in terms of the challenge of being able to sell or
3: part ways with something, your baby that you created, how, 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 how did that feel? Yeah, I'm happy to take that one. So it, it was, I, I, th- I think in some regards, a chance meeting in some regards, not. And I'll explain that in some more detail. So uh, the business was going from strength to strength, as you mentioned, and uh, our banking was with CBA. Um, CBA contacted me at a certain point and said, you know, obviously the brand's doing amazing things and we're really interested in in what's going on. And we'd like to put you up for, um, or nominate you for an award with um, Ernst Young which is an entrepreneur of the year type. Um, it's, a, it's an annual event that they run. Um, it was very flattering. Um, you know, obviously some, something that was quite exciting. Bobak and I both spoke about it at length. Who, who's the one that would do it? Would it be both of us? Um, at the time it was offered to both of us. Bobak said, "Look, I'm not sure it's something that I'm particularly interested in, but hey, you, you go for it." So I ended up um, going through this um, quite a lengthy process with EY and CBA, um, and uh, which was putting this whole kind of uh, uh, application, I guess you'd call it, through, through this process. But I think one of the, the motivations for EY to run these things—it's it, it's a great thing that they do but on the back of it they also it's a networking exercise to some extent so the reason i say it was a chance meeting there was probably some degree of planning to it but at at a certain point of that process that um the question was posed to me um, you guys have a fantastic business model um it's doing incredibly well have you ever thought of bringing in a corporate partner to help you grow it Um, and to, to be honest, at the time it wasn't something that we, we were planning or had had even considered um, in terms of an exit strategy um, at the time. So Bobak and I spoke a lot about it and very early days it wasn't something that we were particularly interested in. We'd built the model in a way that... Um, it was virtually self-funding. You know, there's there's people have various mo- motivations for um, introducing PE into, into a business. That's one of the them, private equity. Private equity, yep. sorry. Um, often, um, the biggest one is is um, you know to help them scale financially. Um, for us, that that wasn't a thing. Um, so you know, initially. Uh, the guards are up. We said, well, you know, we don't need this. We, it's not something that we're particularly interested in. Um, but at the time, we ended up agreeing to a meeting. So Bobak and I um, arrived at a meeting and um, and basically yeah, sat around a table and had, had a chat to these guys. Um, they are very clever people <laughs> often. And I think, um, you know, we had an opportunity to talk about the model, but at the same time, they, they sort of had an opportunity to talk about what they do. And um, and I think they put our minds at ease a lot. Um, but at that stage, I think we both walked away saying, you know, wow, um, smart people, but it's not something for us at the time. So it was, it was quite a lengthy process. Um, around the same time, we actually got approached from a couple of different um, private equity organizations. Um, so obviously there was some interest in the space. And, and I think you know, the more people we spoke to, the more we started to realise that it was something that we were in demand. It wasn't about us sort of going shopping for an opportunity. It was um, um, we realised that they were coming to us. Um, so I think, you know, in, in time it, it developed into something. We saw an opportunity to, to
2: work with the guys. Um, I think the most important aspect was they kept coming back to us with a higher offer. <laughs> They'd put a price on the table. We'd say no. We thought they'd go away. Two weeks later, they'd come round with a high price.
0: Can right. I ask, as a, you know, from a doctor's perspective, I, I, I've never run a business like this. Mm. Do you, or, or would you only really need the private equity if you wanted to scale quicker and have the capital to allow you to do that? What Why would you need it if
3: you were working so well? And, and no, look, there, there, there are some other considerations as well. There's a it lot.
2: de-risking. There, there,
3: there's a lot on on the. On the if you look at pros and cons, on the con side, is a point that David touched on when he asked the question, which is, um, you build something, it feels like your baby. There's an emotional connection to it. Do you want to bring a, a corporate um, behemoth sure. into it? Take the
0: control out of what you're doing. That's I right.
3: So, I, so I think before we even started looking at the benefits, we looked at the objections, the cons, the things that we were, you know, concerned about, and the biggest, the, the obvious one is control, hmm. and so we said, look, you know, we don't want to lose control of of this, of our business. Um, but interestingly, the guys dealt with that very well in the sense that they said control comes down to, say, five to ten um, commercial considerations. And what you can do is we can all sit around a table and we can nut them out. So there's, there's certain things that you don't want to lose control of. Mm. Well, in our agreements, we can make sure that you maintain control of those. Yeah. And there's certain things... Um, that we need control of. And in private equity, that is a fund uh, is generally um, is a five- to ten-year fund. So they need to have some control around their next exit, which could be our exit. It may not be our exit. So in other words, when if, if they end up buying into the business, um, they need to sell out of the business at some point. Whether or not we sell with them is another question. But um, so what we worked out was that we were comfortable... Um, to allow them to have control of certain things. But at the same time, we're adamant about maintaining control of certain things. So you maintain things. your core message and... Correct. Yeah, you know, brand, I guess. And so we were able to massage um, any of those objections out before we'd even started thinking of some of the pros. Yeah. Which we can also talk about mm. if you'd like. Yeah, For sure. 100%. I think just quickly, um, just
1: to expand on what private equity actually means, because obviously we sort of bandied this term around. We, you guys are very familiar with it. What does it actually mean? Where does that money come from? Who are these guys?
3: Um, yeah, so it, it depends on the fund, but um, so like superannuation or something like correct. that. Correct. Superannuation is okay. a big part. Often there's high net worth uh, investors. Um, You're but, throwing but con-
0: more fancy words. You need to talk to us financially illiterate doctors. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you, you're familiar with superannuation? No, i yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, That's yeah, actually that? not
0: a word that, the, that I was aware of before I came to Australia. That Which we, one? We would call that a superannuation. superannuation is a reti- right.
2: It's a retirement fund.
0: Yeah, it's like yeah. a pension, but it's slightly different in Australia because yeah. you can access it. Yeah.
3: Yes. So, so it's not individual people putting their retirement funds in. It's they invest in, in large funds, mm-hmm. superannuation funds. Those funds will often put some of their... Some of that capital to work in private equity. Yeah, um, private equity then goes and invests in business and other opportunities. Right. So it's sort of a big loop of, of funds. yep Okay. Just thought we'd clarify that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So you were going to mention the pros as well as the cons. Yeah. Look, one of the great things about um, Laser Clinics Australia was it, it felt like a family business. It was Bobak and I and the partners that we had in the business. Um, Nepotism was all through the business early days. Um, You know, a family friend, a cousin, a relative, a friend um, might have some experience in marketing, for example, he'd say, hey, come and and work for us in marketing. It was very much, um, it, it had all the signs of a family business. And I think that's a wonderful thing when you're building a business. But I think once you get to a certain size um, there are some problems that can start to arise. Um, certainly in in the space, there was some legislative uh, or potential legislative changes happening and things. Um, there were some things that we needed to start to be looking at proactively yeah. um, as opposed to reactively. And I think one of the things that I really liked about working with the PE guys, once they did actually, so jumping forward a little bit, once they were on board, um, one of the first things they did was they said, right, Um, What a fantastic business. We'll sit around and we will look at the equivalent of a marketing SWOT, which is a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, um, threats kind of situation. You you look at at things that you're doing well, look at things that you're not doing so well, look at potential risks that are more outside of your business, industry related. Um, And effectively, on the back of that sort of workshop, you you put together a list of things that you need to do in the business and they might not might be things that you're procrastinating on because you don't necessarily enjoy working on those things, but they're things that may not be critical today, but in two years, in five years may become, you know, quite important to the business. Um, and then on the back of that, once you've got that list, it was about prioritizing that list. Um, and then, I guess assigning it to people, so there was accountability behind that list. Yeah. Um, exercises like that, um, uh, I think, uh, j- just that systematic approach, um, were great for us to see. And um, a- and although there was ele- Bobak and I had elements of that I- in the business, I think to give it that much structure, exercise like that, I found, were really productive. And I certainly learned a lot from from processes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately. Um, you know that those systematic approaches are one of the considerations. I guess once you align with a corporate partner, um, you start to get a little bit more uh, in terms of the negotiation side. There's a lot of networking that comes out of it. Whether it's um, you, you can start to work with more um, senior leasing consultants within shopping centres, you might be you might get some access to some more um, senior people within um, suppliers, etc., which. You know the ultimate gain gain of all those exercises is economies of scale. Yes, you want to um, scale your business, reduce your your top line costs, um, to allow, I guess, um, to, to reintroduce margins that perhaps you've lost earlier on in the business by with the with that discounted model. Yeah, it seems that.
1: Um one of the risks or uh, issues that, that tend to plague really successful businesses or enterprises is that the growth is so is so quick and so fast, and the success comes so quickly that sometimes some of the backend stuff can lag behind in terms of policy, procedure, all those sorts of things. So I think that you know, to your point, bringing these corporate partners on could perhaps open your eyes and help you get the back end or the I guess the the foundations of the business to a point where it matches. The growth and the success.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as I mentioned, I mean, it's, it's sometimes the, the things that you're aware of, you know, you, you you really should be doing them, but perhaps there is a procrastination procrastination around it on the grounds that um, it's not something you love doing. Um, so it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, once you actually do put timelines around things and accountabilities around things, you realise actually we really need to get onto this and yep. someone needs to be accountable for it. So yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, obviously I was around during that period as a clinic owner when you guys brought these people on board and it was really interesting from, from an outside perspective to see the business shift and change from, as you said, just friends of Bobak and Al to you know, it's a serious corporate entity and everything that went along with that. And the growth during that period just seemed to be exponential in terms of how many clinics were opening, the changes that they wanted to make and to make the, the business more bulletproof. Mm, Did I anything
0: guess. change, you know, on the front end from the client's perspective or was it just I
3: think it got better the same.
1: for sure. I think it got better from my perspective. It's,
3: it's a challenging time because obviously people are afraid of, of um, change inherently and you know if occasionally there was there was roles that needed to be considered, perhaps because of as I mentioned that nepotism, do you have the best person in every single role yeah. and it's and it's challenging you know if you if you have to turn over a role and introduce um, someone new into the business, um, that's tough. you're dealing with people that you've known and dealt with for years mm-hmm. um, yeah and and people do um, you know struggle with changes, but um, to your question about the, you know, I guess the front line of the business, was there any huge changes? I guess there was, but it was more of a gradual thing. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do it overnight. Was the the brand
0: as recognisable back then as as it is now? The logo, the, the decor, you know, everyone sort of knows Laser Clinic. Interest, yeah, interestingly,
3: it. it hasn't changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been a slight evolution of the shop front, a sl- ever so slight evolution of the logo itself, but I mean recognition has probably just come from organic rollout. So yeah. as we went into different states, um, the more shops you have, the more um, you know people start to see it. But um, I always I always laugh early days when we first started the business and we opened in Dremoyne, um, with the actual brand itself being Laser Clinics Australia, which is clearly plural. plural. <laughs> um, we had one clinic, right? And we were called Laser Clinics Australia. Um, when we when we landed on the name, it was largely about trying to create that impression of scale. And I remember talking to friends um, very early days um, when we had that one clinic and they'd say, oh, you know, what are you up to? And, and, and I'd explain, um, you know, that I've started this new business, et cetera. Um, and they'd say, what's it called? And I'd say, Laser Clinics Australia. And, and they'd say, oh, I'm sure I've heard of that. And I used to think, no, no, you you, you really haven't. You know, there's one location in and, Um So, you know, that, that sort of brand was always about trying to create that sort of scale.
0: So what year did you guys decide, okay, we have... Done as far as we can go with this, uh, and we're going to sort of get out now.
2: We sold the business the business on two occasions. Once we sold down fifty percent in the year twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. The second time round, we sold the remainder of our shares in twenty seventeen.
0: Okay, and what led to that decision to say, okay, we've we've taken this as far as we can go.
2: Well, the first time round, it was very much about de risking and getting people with the right skill set on board with
0: the private equity. Correct, yep. we're
2: partners we trusted. The second time round, the amount of money that was thrown at us was too good to refuse. Okay. none of us could say no. We said, give me the cash. I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to kiss this baby goodbye and never see this baby again. okay well, I, I signed the papers. I said, I'm out. I said, Alistair, if you'd like to stay, I couldn't finish the sentence. He was already out the door. <laughs> <laughs> He'd taken the cash. We, we ran.
3: I'd already signed the papers, I think, <laughs> when you asked the question. So, I mean, you know, just
2: from
0: a, a business perspective, once, you, once your signature is on the paper, are you out or is there a transition period?
2: We were fortunate that they did not ask us to stay in any shape or form. Okay. Once... Once we signed and received the funds, our phone never rang again, which wow. is highly unusual. Yeah. In fact, I've never heard of a case like that. Now, is that a reflection of our skill set that they thought, we don't <laughs> want We don't want to talk to these guys? <laughs> Did they have better people in play? Don't know. But for us, it was a great outcome
3: Yeah,
2: in that they gave us the money and they said, Thanks don't come much. back. Mm -hmm.
3: I I think from a, from a private equity perspective, they never want to be dependent on one key person. Yes. Um, And so part of their de-risking is bringing in a a really strong management team. Um, When they initially bought into the business, that was something that they really focused on bringing in that, um, you know, that depth to the management team. So I, um, you know, to Bobak's point, Um, uh, our skill set or our skill sets became less and less important. I think that was strategically for them to de-risk. So if something ever happened to us or, or if, or if, you know, there was ever any kind of falling out, things would carry on. So yeah, by the time we were exiting, we just, you know, we weren't required, I guess. So what did you guys do the next day?
2: What we had done the day before, nothing.
3: <laughs> yeah, look, because there was that management team, it wasn't li- literally a flick of a switch. It had been a long transition out of the business over yeah. years. I mean, I was still sitting at the board level, Bobak,
2: and prior to had, 2014, had e- even the first time round that we sold, we had a management team in place. Yeah. So Alistair and I had wound ourselves down from that business. Yeah. Over a period of years, which, sure. which
3: was quite nice in some ways, because it wasn't that sudden shock i mean you would feel quite detached Mm. if it was literally overnight you know the bank account gets a bit larger but the next day you you know you feel you'd probably feel quite lost it was quite a transition for us which which helped i guess that's a slow breakup yeah slow breakup that's right
0: are you both retired would you describe yourselves as retired or have you got new little projects
2: there's nothing on for me there is you're
1: up to like your seventh kitchen renovation so i mean well yeah
2: i
0: see you on instagram
3: a lot sort of on (laughs) barrymore well
2: well, one of the boys sitting on this side is up to his seventh house but hey we're we're not going to touch that one (laughs) we're not going to touch that one
3: um yeah i wouldn't say i'm retired i mean i i i still want to do more things i I, i'm still trying to work out what what they are but
2: um i'm 10 11 years older than alistair i've decided i want nothing on in my life i'm perfectly happy with retirement
3: Mm-hmm. Are do you, you got, sure you're going to regret saying that in a few years? Not
2: time? a chance. Not a chance. Well, I guess okay. it's
3: something that you can easily undo, right? <laughs> just, of course. Just say, I'm back. Bobby's yeah, back. I want to do something. That would be an interesting tagline.
2: Yes, <laughs> who's back? Yeah. Bobby great Bobby's again. back. Make Bobby great <laughs> <again>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any regrets, things that you wish you could have done differently or?
2: Regrets. I've had a few, but then again, besides few me few to yes, mention. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, there's
3: a, I mean, we learnt a lot of lessons. <laughs> um, it, it is... It, it, it's a great model, um, but, so, you know, a lot of it was luck. Um, a lot of it was trial and error. Uh, if we were to do something again in the space, um, there'd be a lot of things that we could do differently. And, well, and We would
2: have rolled the model out far quicker, knowing the rate of return we were getting on each clinic. In the outset, when we were opening five, six, seven clinics a year, that mm. number should have been 15, 20 clinics a year. We should have dominated the space much quicker, and not given the competitors a chance to even breathe. We should have expanded into state, but at the same time, you
3: know that sort of approach can also introduce other issues as well. So there's there's need to in retrospect, I guess. Exactly.
2: Um, That that is with the benefit of retrospect. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I think we'd have to plan for that growth. um, So there'd be you know, I think there's a lot of things that we would learn that, sorry, that we've learned that would help us plan for that faster growth, um, to hit those numbers, um, chicken or the egg kind of scenario. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a long list of things that we would have done differently. I don't know if I'd call them regrets though, because you learn a hell of a lot doing it, right? It's part of the journey. It is. It is. So what advice would you guys
1: give to young business people or business people in general, looking to have their own business whether it be in this space or not in terms of the lessons that you've learned and where you think
3: opportunities may you only
2: need one good business idea in your life Hmm. find that one business idea and pursue that one business idea
3: but i think on a practical level um Finding it can be very challenging. Bobak and I have been involved in a number of other businesses. And I think a really important thing is to always um, mon- model a business financially um, because just because it's a gr- it sounds like a great idea doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great business. The um, importance
2: of choosing the right industry.
3: If the right we, industry. You know, if we had gone right clothing
2: or footwear, we would have failed. Too much competition. It's a mature industry.
3: Yeah. But, I, but the other thing is, I mean, a lot of people have great business ideas, but, um, but um, they remain an idea. So, you know, one of the things I learned was get rid of procrastination. You have to actually go for it, right? Throw yourself in there, but do it, do it knowing that you've, you've really challenged the model that it is, um, that, that it sort of stacks up. You've, you've done a lot of sort of industry research, you know who the competitors are. Um, uh, you know, are you are you effectively copying the existing or are you challenging the status quo and disrupting? I mean, there's, there's a lot of considerations, but, um, yeah, look, you've just jumped in there, you know.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people have said to me, oh, why haven't you set up Dr. Jake's Injectable Services Limited, you know, on the high street? And to me, because of what you guys have done and, and the other copycats, it makes absolutely no sense to do...
2: Unless, a you had a po- unless you had a point of differentiation, unless
0: Could.
2: you were offering something significantly different, then what is the point? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, unless you've got that unique selling point, like you said, uh, mm. it, it, you know, you're just one of 100 people offering basically the same
2: thing. Mm. And the model we set up was designed so that the doctors who worked for Laser Clinics Australia would make at least as much money than them having set up themselves, but without the financial responsibility. Yeah. And that's
1: key. So a, win, a win-win, essentially. So
2: exactly. What is the point? I mean, if if you make the same money working with us and you don't have to then go and outlay half a million dollars in capital to set up a clinic. And you basically
0: turn up and inject
2: and go Yeah, you're, you're, you're doing the best aspect of your job. The hardest aspect is to ensure there's a patient lying on your treatment bed and they're ready to be injected.
1: Well, it's interesting, some of the conversations we've had with surgeons and uh, clinicians is that the business side of things is very daunting and difficult for them. They've studied their whole life to uh, acquire a, a specific skill set. So then the prospect of having their own business is really quite, quite difficult. And I guess, you know, something for, for you guys can probably take for granted with all that experience, but it just basically allows them to do what they're best at
2: Well, we weren't going to be doctors Mm. and we didn't want the doctors to be business people. Yeah. And that worked out quite well. So it's like a hybrid
1: of the best Mm. of different skill sets. Mm. But it's, again, you see that reflected in these industries, whether it be, as I said, Uber or what have you, they take a market that has an issue or is extremely inefficient. And that seems to be where there's a lot of opportunities if you can find those markets that people understand the service offering, they understand... um, it, it's highly in demand and then taking something that's not working very well and, and bringing it to the masses or making it affordable or making it practical and easy for Accessible. people. Accessible, mm, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm. Al, you said that you, you're you not done yet, you're not retired. Right. <laughs> what, um, Jake's got an idea for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. Mobile anal bleaching services.
2: <laughs> Penis reduction Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: do you think that you would do something in the cosmetic world or do you think that's done?
3: No, I mean, apart from obvious non-competes on, on exiting the business, um, you know, I, no, (laughs) I don't, you know, it's a, it's an area that's, that's interesting, but I feel like we've really conquered. Well, yeah. Conquered is it? Or saturated. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've achieved what we wanted to achieve. I I think there's still a lot more to, that that will happen in the space, but we've certainly done what we've, um, wanted to achieve. And I think in terms of, um, you know, vocabulary around home life and things, you know, the words laser and, and, and other various injectable words and things have, have, have been used a lot. And I think it's for me, I, I, I think I'm looking for, the you next. know, the next thing in life. I, you know, you can only talk about cosmetic treatment so much for me. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, well, I guess, you know, money
1: isn't really the driving force for either of you guys anymore. So, I think if there was a, a project that you wanted to be involved in, the passion, the passion would have to be there. You'd have to be really
3: yeah. Into it. It would be great to, to be able to do something that would give a bit back and, mm. um, uh, you know, something that, was, that, that, that would help society on the, great, on the greater mass.
1: So anyone who's got a business idea to pitch, um, Alistair's email address (laughs) 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 is Boba. (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) Interestingly enough, we both get approached on a very regular basis, people pitching ideas to us. Mm -hmm. I've taken the decision. Pretty much. And like Shark Tank, I say no to everything. Yeah, right. Uh, There's no need. It's just it's good to be zoned out. It's good to be chilled out. I don't need the additional drama or stress in my life. I'm happy to literally be sitting on Balmoral Beach on a daily basis and not having to think.
3: Yeah. Interestingly as well, I mean, navigating your way around the finance world, is you could make a full-time career out of that. I mean, for me, it wasn't my background, so learning the investment space and it's yeah. it's certainly an interesting time to be investing in in markets as well there's obviously a lot a lot um a lot of speculation about what's happening in the in the global markets at the moment so you know um making my way into that into that space has has been something that's kept me incredibly busy you work hard to build a business you sell the business the last thing you want to go and do is is turn around and and, and lose it all on a on a poor investment. So, you know, I'm putting a lot of time and and effort into meeting with people and trying to learn that landscape, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that I can set up, you know, my growing kids and and potentially Mm. the next generations of our family as well. So, so that's, that's been a big consideration for me. Oh, for
1: sure. Absolutely. Mm. Well, I think that, um, you know, we obviously appreciate you guys coming in. I know that you don't really have any reason to talk about this industry anymore, but I think that LCA is such a is such a success story. It's a household name, and I think there'll be a lot of people interested in terms of understanding the guys that started it all and what that journey was like for you. So, appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, and I know Jack feels the same way as well. Yeah, hundred
0: percent. Thank you, gentlemen, for your valuable time and insight into an amazing business model, really. Awesome! Thank Thank you very much for having us. Congratulations on
2: IA. Well done. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) See you later, guys.
2: Thank you.